Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner. And today, you know, normally what we do is, you know, I talk with uh, different people about some of the things that they're learning about, some of the books uh, that they've written, or um, yeah, just whatever they're learning about in life, and some of the things that I'm curious about. And today we're going to do things a little bit uh, different. Uh, today I am going to bring you some of the best things that I am reading today. Uh, or not not today, today. Um, but on this episode, I'm bringing you some of the best things that I've read recently. And, uh, you know, I typically call these library episodes because I'm just pulling stuff from the library. And with summer coming up, I figured I would give you uh, maybe some potential things to add to your reading list. However, if this does happen to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I do want to let you know about a couple of things. The first one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations and engage in difficult topics. Because there's just some topics that are, you're, it's better to talk with some people than with others. Because uh, with some, you're able to have a more productive dialogue and others, sometimes people just want to give you their opinion and not really want to engage in any thoughtful conversation. The second one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of who they are. And sometimes we learn from their example of what to do. And sometimes we learn what not to do. And the last one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, because we believe that everything has something to teach us. Now, if you hear something today or you have been thinking about something recently that you would love us to cover on the podcast, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out to me is Learner's Corner Podcast at gmail.com. So on this episode, what I want to do is, you know, go into uh, some of the different things that I've been reading from recently, some of the things that really stood out to me, provide maybe some of the context that got me interested in it and some of my key takeaways uh you know sometimes on these episodes i'll do a little bit more than uh just what i'm reading but this is a special summer reading list edition of the library so here we go let's dive right in okay now this first one you know, if you've been listening uh, for a while, this won't be a surprise. And this uh, this is one of the things that I think about the most whenever uh, learning from anything and from everything is, um, is about comics and about stories. And I came across this book fairly uh, recently. Uh, I guess it depends on what your definition of fairly recently is. I guess sometime in the last six months or so. And it's called All of the Marvels, and it's written by Douglas Wolk. And what he decided to do is he decided to read every single Marvel comic book and basically parse out of what are the different things that he could learn from, from this. And so uh, he kind of, you know, did an inventory and did something very similar to, you know, kind of what I'm doing here on this episode, but he decided to read every Marvel comic book, which is literally th like thousands of comic books. In fact, I think the number is over 27,000 comic books, you know, at the time that uh, that he was doing the work for this book. And obviously that number is going up and up and up. 
Now, that's only for Marvel comics. There's a lot more. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Marvel, it's like Iron Man, Captain America, X-Men, Spider-Man, you know, all of the Marvel films, all of that stuff in there, which goes back to the 19, well, I guess I was going to say the 1960s, but in some cases, it even goes further back than that whenever you get into the old Captain America World War II stories. And so that's a lot of comics to read. And so there's a lot of things uh, that we could take away from that. But what I want to really do is just focus on um, really just this one big idea from this book and then tease it out in a couple of different things. And I think it's, and it's just this, is that the best stories, the best comics, the best movies, the best TV shows, the best books, uh, fiction books, you know, they address questions that people wonder about and questions that they ask. And maybe sometimes they ask these questions out loud and sometimes they ask them to themselves, but they address the questions that are just on our mind. Some that, you know, get addressed throughout all of these is, you know, what, what are the role of gods or kings in our world? Or where, where does power really live in the world? Where does it, who, who does it reside with? What do we do with the bad that's happened to us? What might be beyond the world that we know? And all of these stories, all of these best, you know, comics they wrestle with these questions. They aren't afraid to ask them. And I think one of the most interesting parts of it is, is that you don't have to agree with the conclusions that they reach in order to enjoy the story. Because we relate to them on dealing with that stuff. Everybody's got stuff that has happened to them or, or bad experiences or even trauma that they've gone through. And you just wonder, man, what, what can I do? moving forward from this. And I just want to give you two examples of uh, of story themes that he talks about in this book. The first one is, uh, and they're really from my two favorite, uh, you know, superheroes. And the first one is this, is from Spider-Man. And if you're familiar with Spider-Man, you know, one of his uh, most famous phrases is this, is that with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And this tension is really at the center of so many Spider-Man stories. And in a lot of cases, uh, sometimes what Spider-Man decides or what Peter Parker, you know, who is, uh, you know, I guess the alter ego of Spider-Man decides is that he doesn't want to carry this responsibility anymore. It becomes too much for him. And he sees the toll that it takes on him. And in fact, several times, um, you know, he has decided not to be Spider-Man. Probably the most classic example is in, uh, you know, Amazing Spider-Man number 50, which is uh, called Spider-Man No More. And he just, he gives it up and he decides not to be Spider-Man. And when he decides that uh, it is just too much. And it's this constant tension that Spider-Man uh, deals with of the price of responsibility. The price of being responsible. And... I think that's something that all of us have to work through at some point, or we just wonder, what do I owe the people around me? What do I owe the world if I can do something with what's been given to me? Wondering whether or not I could just give up this responsibility 
Can I just lay it down? Can I give it to somebody else? Do I have to keep doing this? And you know, eventually what happens for Spider-Man, pretty much in every single story, is that he decides that... Actually, he does... It Sometimes, he, he does decide. But a lot of times, of what he's reminded of is uh, the story of um, his Uncle Ben. And if you're not familiar with it, essentially what could have happened is that, um, you know, Peter had an opportunity to stop uh, a, a thug... And, um, and he didn't do it, even though he could have. And that thug, uh, ends up killing his uncle Ben. And that's whenever we get, you know, the line that with great power, there must come great responsibility. And that doesn't make it easy. And there aren't any easy answers to that question of, uh, responsibility and what's ours to do and what is not ours to do. And, but yet we still feel that pull. We still feel that tug to being responsible. And I think that's one of the reasons why I just love Spider-Man and I love his stories. Now, the other one that I want to mention is, of course, um, X-Men. Love the X-Men so much, especially in recent years. But before I get into um, some of the things that they address, um, I'd want to talk about, like, how much success that they had. And I think this also uh, goes into one of the reasons why I'm so interested in uh, in just learning about anything and everything, because I I love learning from uh, successful things or things that have done well and some of the things that we can um, take away from that. Now, in, uh, in the late 70s, from about 1978 to 1987, X-Men was the best-selling American comic book series, and its readership increased every single year, year over year, for 10 years. It continued to grow. And whenever it started, um, whenever Chris Claremont, who really helped take the X-Men to prominence, uh, the X-Men was considered one of their uh, worst titles. And in fact, they, uh, they didn't, they didn't cancel the book, you know, in the, in the sixties and early seventies, but they essentially put it on hiatus and they stopped, uh, printing new issues and they just decided to, uh, reprint different stories on that. And it became the best selling comic book, uh, for a very long time. Now, over the course of, uh, you know, that, that 10 years, um, it's average monthly sales grew from about 116 copy or sorry, 116,000 copies in issue to more than 430,000, which is ridiculous. You know, it, um, it, it tripled, you know, close to quadrupled in it. And, uh, you know, part of that is, uh, it had one singular vision for Chris Claremont. He stuck on, uh, the comics for about 16 years and, um, you know, did, uh, 186 consecutive issues of X-Men. And then he did a bunch of other, uh, X-Men related titles as well. But I think a couple of things that really helped them was they tapped into what we talked about of just that that power of stories to be able to tap into 
the emotions and the questions and the the experiences that we all deal with. One of the things that they tapped into uh, the most was mutants uh, being despised and oppressed as the other. You know, being separated from society, if not being normal. And so many people can can identify with that. And, you know, many, many people learned through, through specifically through that comic um, that they weren't alone and that things might be okay because they saw, even though it was a fictional example, they saw and they took encouragement from other examples on it. And I know that sometimes, you know, it can seem ridiculous, but it's only ridiculous until you've experienced it. And then you know what you were talking about. And so many people have found um, and related to that sense of otherness. So many um, um, minorities, the LGBTQ plus community, um, lots of people have found this experience of being the other. Because at some point, we've probably all been the other. And maybe that's going back to middle school or to elementary school or whatever that is. Or maybe even it's today and you just feel like the other we can all relate to that story another thing that he did is that he wrote each individual with a distinctive history and agenda and worldview and there were so many characters in there that somebody they pretty much anybody could find somebody to relate to and as i mentioned earlier you know some of these questions address the questions that we're wondering about And two of the X-Men's most famous stories address these two questions. The first one is called, uh, the first set of stories is called the Dark Phoenix Saga. And it addresses the question of, this world is terrible to my people. What might happen if it pushed one of us too far? And the other one is the Days of Future Past story. And the question it addresses is, this world is terrible to my people what might we have to do or sacrifice to make it right? And I love what Douglas Wilkes says. He says, those are questions that haven't gone away in the past 40 years. And it's not a flaw in X-Men that it continues to find new ways to ask them, to ask those questions. That's what sets it apart. And it's different. And its difference is its gift. And so you might not be interested in Marvel comics, you might not be interested, you know, in the Marvel films, you might not be interested in anything superhero, but here would be my one thought. Find some type of fictional story that you can get interested in and figure out why does this resonate with me so strongly? And if it doesn't keep going until you find one, you know, there's, there's a story out there for all of us. And so that is my first one all of the marvels by douglas woke uh the next one that i want to talk about not superhero related uh but it's this book called i guess i haven't learned that yet and it's from shauna nequist now shauna is uh one of my favorite people to learn from she wrote um a book called present over perfect about you know six years ago which was uh i think it was my favorite book uh from that year, if I remember correctly. And really, I would say that that's the book that made me just, um, 
at least that I can remember, really kickstarted this process of slower, more intentional, you know, be, being present instead of choosing perfect, you know, all of that stuff. Now, this book is called, I guess I haven't learned that yet, Discovering New Ways of Living When the Old Ways Stop Working. And as you probably guessed, that sounds perfect for the Learner's Corner. And essentially what it does is it's a recap of the past several years for her. She uh, writes an essay form. And so basically it's like 50 different essays. Um, actually, I have the book right here. Let me make sure. Is it 50? It is. It is 50, you know, 50 different essays. And essentially it's uh, her journey of what has happened over the past however many years, you know, the past six years since her uh, last book came out. And she talks about uh, so many, uh, so many different things. And here's, here's just a couple of things that have, or a couple of themes that have stood out to me from this. And the first one is this, is that feel our unfeelable feelings and think our unthinkable thoughts. For me, one of the things that I've noticed in my life from time to time is that uh, I will say the the phrase that uh, I hate, I hate thinking this or I hate saying this. And for me, I think I've gotten a little bit better of recognizing, okay, what's behind that? Why don't I like communicating this thing out loud? Well, it's because saying this reflects, you know, this thing that I think. And it's like, well, I'm not sure that I like that thought very much because it, it means that this reality is in existence and I don't want that to be reality and the same for, um, for feelings as well too, you know, for the longest time. And and I, I could still go there as well. Um, I told myself that my feelings slow me down. And because of that, I didn't really want to feel my feelings. And thankfully, I'm getting a little bit better at that. But I still got uh, a long way to go. Another thing is, and I really just want to read this uh, from the book. You know, Shauna writes, I'm learning to choose myself instead of giving the best of myself to people and relationships and institutions. Loyalty to myself, belonging to myself, looking for joy just for myself. I need disproportionate amount of care right now. And the one who is responsible for that care is me. I can't assume that someone else will do it. It's my responsibility to create a rhythm for my life that nurtures me, that brings me joy, that allows me to flourish, even given the weight of things I carry. End of quote. And I think for me, and again, it's, you know, even just as I was reading it, I was thinking of, uh, you know, what I was talking about earlier with that, um, with the Spider-Man quote, you know, with great power, there comes great responsibility. And I think sometimes what can happen is, and it's, and it's such a fine, um, it's such a fine line and there's a lot of tension around this. But I think sometimes what can happen is that we take on so much responsibility that we end up uh, treating ourselves very poorly. And we, 
and again, this is, this is the journey that, that I'm on and I'm trying to figure out and I'm trying to get a lot better at that. We neglect our, our physical health that we neglect our sleep, you know, maybe our, um, our eating habits as well, or we, or we neglect, um, just movement and exercise that our, that our bodies need for the sake of maybe helping other people. Or we neglect dealing with our own emotional hurts and vulnerabilities. And we do that for the sake of helping other people. And just what comes to my mind is that uh, just this illustration of, um, you know, just in whenever you're on an airplane, it tells you, you know, Take the mask, put it on yourself first before you help other people. And yeah, and just trying to figure that out. Because at the same thing, we do have a responsibility to help other people and to uh, love other people. At least, you know, um, follow, as followers of Jesus, or if you are a follower of Jesus, or if, um, or if the way that of life that you've chosen is one of loving other people, um, we do have that responsibility to other people. And so figuring out that of how do you love yourself while, while loving other people? Well, and I think the last one that I want to talk about from this book is, um, (laughs) she talks about let go or be dragged and that there are certain things in our life that if we do not let go, of these things, we will be dragged by them. We will be dragged throughout life, uh, by them. And, uh, you know, one example that I think of, uh, for myself is just what, what, what people think you can either let go of what a particular person or pe or could be people could sometimes it is just, uh, the general crowd as well. And you can either let go of what they think, or you can be dragged around by their opinion of you. And that's one example. That's one that uh, sometimes happens for me. Or it could be you can let go of your need to um, be in control, or you will be dragged around by that. You can let go of your need for things to be perfect, or you can be dragged around by that. You can be... You can let go of your need for everything to be good and happy and uh, going well for the time, or you can be dragged by that and you can miss out on some of um, just the beauty that is found in, in brokenness and miss out on uh, loving other people well through that as well, because if everything is going well, then Nobody needs to be taken care of. If everything is going well, then, or if everything has to be going well, then you won't really get to know people very well because they'll be afraid to share, you know, their, their vulnerabilities, their hurts, their mess ups, their failures with you. So those are just a few things from, I guess I haven't learned that yet from Shauna Nequist. Now for this next one, actually for these next couple, one of the things that I've uh, been challenged to start um, doing, and it's more of just a challenge for myself, is I'm trying to go back 
and reread some of the books that have really stayed with me or um, have really uh, resonated or made an impact on me. And uh, one of the ones that I've uh, done that with is a book. I've, I, I'm not sure how much I have read this book, um, but this might be the most read book that I own. And it's uh, Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. And the subtitle of it is called Creating Churches Unchurched People Love to Attend. If you're familiar with Andy, um, he is a pastor at a large uh, multi-site megachurch down and around the the Atlanta area. And essentially what it does is it tells uh, his story of the church and uh, some of their approach to their um, to their ministry, to their model of ministry, to their mission, to uh, best practices, all, all of that different stuff. Uh, but one of the things that he does that he ties into it is he talks a lot about um, the, the history of the church. He doesn't just talk about the history of North Point Community Church or North Point Ministries, which is the, the church that he leads, but he talks about the history of the church. And just rereading it this time, it hit me different of the lengths that the early church went to love people and to not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And in fact, that's one of the things um, that that is said uh, throughout scripture, particularly um, at the Council of Jerusalem, whenever, you know, the whenever Christianity is, is spreading a lot. And in fact, it was spreading so much that they decided, you know, the early leaders of the church, you know, uh, in the, in the years after, uh, after the resurrection decided to get together and, and we're like, okay, we need to kind of put together what we need to talk, uh, what, what, to, or we need to put together a game plan for what we need to communicate to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people about Jesus and about the gospel and about, um, him being resurrected from the dead. And essentially what they decided is this is, you know, avoid uh, sexual immorality and please don't eat any meat sacrificed uh, to any idols. Yeah. In fact, uh, just let me, let me pull it up right here and I, I want to read it. So this is from Acts 15, you know, verse 29. Uh, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And that's all they told them. And what they could have done is that they had, you know, hundreds of laws that they could have said, yep, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And then you can become Christian. And just realizing that, um, that they did not choose that way. It would have been simpler for them but more difficult for the people who were turning to God. And they decided we're going to make it a little bit more difficult for us. And we're going to have to sort through these. We're going to have to have conversations that, that maybe we don't want to have or engage in, but we're going to make it simpler for the people who are turning to God. And that's what they decided to do. I think the other thing is just realizing how amazing it was that the church survived persecution not only in the first century, but how it made it through today. There are literally so many things that are, were done. Uh, well, first of all, you get, you get to the persecution and then you get to the things that were done in the name of 
of Jesus. You were, <laughs> and you go, how did this survive? How did this make it through all of the, uh, you know, all of the insti- institutions, the corruption that took place through there, people wanting power and using the scriptures to take power for themselves. And, <laughs> and you go, how did it survive? And it survived because Jesus promised that it would. And it wouldn't have been taken seriously if it didn't. You know, we wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't even remember it otherwise. But we do. And it survived. And it survived because of, well, one, because Jesus predicted it. and But even more so, why, why, why do I believe Jesus? Well, I believe him because I believe that he's the resurrected son of God. And that's why, and that's why I take what he says seriously. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's just really struck me. Another, another book that I want to mention real quickly that I reread, and it's actually, uh, somebody who's been on the podcast before and, uh, you know, hopefully at some point, all of these people will get a chance to be on the podcast. Um, but the book is what is the Bible by Rob Bell. And the subtitle is uh, how an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything. Now, I think I read this book somewhere around five or six years ago. And then uh, fairly recently, uh, my aunt Brenda was telling me that she was uh, going through this book. And I thought, you know what? I haven't read this book in a long time. I need to go through this as well. And reading through it, you know, there's a lot of different things that I could say that it makes me think about. But ultimately, I think the thing that it makes me think about is uh, something that uh, I talked with Caitlin Chess about, you know, however many months ago on the podcast. And it's really just this idea of that when you dig into your questions, the answers you find can be so much better than what you think. And that's essentially what this book does. Uh, a lot of, I won't say every, because, you know, the book would be a lot longer and it's only 300 some pages, uh, long. If it tried to tackle every question, it would probably be a thousand pages or thousands of pages. There would be multiple volumes of this. But what he does is he takes a lot of different, uh, questions, some that maybe you've thought of in the Bible and some to where it's like, I, I would never have thought of that, uh, before. And he just addresses them and he gives the context around them. And really makes you think. And what I've found is that whenever you dig into those questions, the answers are so much better than what you think. And because of going through that process, your faith becomes stronger. Because you go, oh, there, there is actually a good reason to believe this. Oh, there is actually uh, stuff that makes sense in this. And yes, there there is a place for... for uh, for faith and for, you know, make quote unquote, making the leap in it. But a lot of these things, a lot of these questions that we have can be explained through understanding the context, through understanding the history can under through understanding the literary form that is happening in it. And briefly, I just want to mention uh, one other quick part of the book, which gets into uh, what we were talking about today. And maybe it will intrigue you uh, a little bit. And it's uh, this, uh, the best questions to ask about the Bible and 
the worst question to ask about the Bible. The best question to ask about the Bible is why did people find this? Uh, why did people write this down in the first place? What was their purpose for writing it down? And the second one is this, is why did this passage endure? Why is it still here today? Thousands of years later. And the worst question to ask is, why did God do blank? And the reason why I think it's the worst question is because I'm not sure that that's an answer that we, or that's not a question that we can get the answer to. I love what Rob Bell says about this. He says, the Bible is a library of books reflecting how human beings have understood the divine. People at that time believed the gods were with them when they went to war and killed everyone in the village. What you're reading is someone's perspective that reflects the time and the place they lived in. It's not God's perspective. It's theirs. And when they say it's God's perspective, what they're telling you is their perspective on God's perspective. And I know that that really bothers some people, but it doesn't bother me because the Bible is so much better than a handbook or the, um, or even God's take on whatever is happening. It's the story of just what, just what Rob was saying of God and his people moving throughout history and the record of that. Now, and what I would, I guess the the other thing that I would say is, and if that bothers you, I would figure out why that bothers you. And if it really bothers you, then maybe buy the book or find another book that addresses that question as well. I think that's what's most important and really what, uh, what Rob talks about a lot in, in here is that there's a lot of things that we think we have the answers to that we just don't have the answers to. And are we going to hold those positions humbly? Now, the last book that I want to talk about that I want to mention, um, really, uh, briefly. And then I actually do have, uh, one quote, uh, one more quote that I want to give is, uh, this book, it's another Andy Stanley book. This is not a reread. This is a a first read through, uh, not in it to win it. Why choosing sides, sidelines, the church. And essentially what it is, is it's Andy's take on, uh, on all of the, uh, all of, uh, the polarization, the political I think that's a word, uh, basically everything that's happened over the past, you know, two, two and a half years or so. And, uh, and what has happened with the church throughout it. And essentially his argument is this, is that the church has become more interested in winning, you know, culture wars, all of that, than actually being unified and loving other people well. We would rather win. We would rather be in charge. We would rather have all of the power than love the people around us. And there's so many things that I could talk about in this. 
But I just want to read a couple of these quotes that stood out to me from the book. Everything that disturbs you about America originated in the hearts of Americans. Everything that disturbs you about the United States emanates from the sinful, self-centered, appetite-fueled, fear-driven condition of the human hearts. Our government can protect us from it, but our government is powerless to do anything about it. No system of government, no political platform, no bill, law, or mandate can change a human heart. End of quote. And I'm just going to give all the caveats and say that doesn't mean that you're not politically inactive. And Andy gets into all of this stuff. But it starts with us. It starts with individuals. It starts with us deciding to, it's it's so cliche, but it's true, be the change that you want to see in the world and advocating for other people. And ultimately loving other people well. And so... Those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. So those are some of the things um, that I've read recently. Uh, But I do want to give you uh, one last quote as we're ending. And this is from a book that I have been uh, spending way too much time trying to get through. Uh, I think I started this book probably two years ago. And I am not even halfway through it. It is a very large book. It is a very thinky book as well. It's like 800 pages. Um, But it is uh, The New Testament in Its World by N.T. Wright. And the quote I want to read in this, and I think it just, it, I haven't seen many other quotes that, um, that summarize a lot of what I do here on the Learner's Quarter. And what I think is, some of our responsibility as leaders, or if you find yourself being, you know, as particularly um, a leader in the church. And he says this, the reason Paul was doing theology was not that he happened to have the right kind of brain that delighted in playing with and rearranging large, complex, abstract ideas. He was doing theology because the life of God's people depended on it, depended on his doing it initially for them then as soon as possible with them, and then on them being able to go on doing it for themselves. All Paul's theology is thus pastoral theology, not in the sense of an unsystemic therapeutic model, which concentrates on meeting the felt needs of the quote-unquote client, but in the sense that the shepherd needs to feed the flock with clean food and water and keep a sharp eye out for wolves. And I think for us, that is kind of how it is with the journey of learning, whether it be learning about theology or learning about many different subjects as well. Our responsibility is to teach other people and then to teach with people and to work with them. And then eventually to have them be able to teach themselves and figure it out for themselves. So that's some of the things that I have read and learned from recently. I would love to hear from you on maybe some of the things that you're learning from, you know, I'm putting together, you know, kind of my summer reading list right now. And I would love to hear from you. Any suggestions you have, the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com. I would really appreciate it. If you left a rating and wrote a review of the podcast on whatever podcast app or player that you use, that would mean a lot as well. 
And I think that's all that I have for today. My name is, oh, I almost forgot. Don't want to do that. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the show. And thank you for, um, you know, for just being here and with me along the journey. And yeah, that's all that I got for today. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.